Well, I am very excited about this next uh, th series that we have prepared and that we're going to go through. And what we're going to be doing is spending the next uh, four weeks focusing on sexual integrity. We're going to be talking about God's plan for sexuality. What does God and his word have to say about what believers are called to do in honoring the Lord with these bodies? And as you guys know, we are called to honor God in every aspect of our life. It's, it's not just in our sexuality. It's in everything from how we eat and how much we drink, what we do when we work, how we forgive people, how we interact with others. It, it, God's, God calls for us to be fully and completely surrendered to him. In fact, the bar is so high with following Christ that he says, unless you die to yourself, you cannot follow me. So it's a pretty big deal. It's full allegiance to who he is. So as we go through this, I'm very encouraged. And, um, and I, honestly, I'm excited for us to talk about this for the next four weeks. But, but what I want to say is that it's in the context of a, of a full life that's surrendered to him. So we're not just singling out sexuality and saying, well, we need to talk about this, these other things, let's not worry about it. This is one aspect of the overall life that's surrendered to the Lord. Amen. And as we engage with this, I don't know how many of you guys have noticed, but sexuality seems to be somewhat of a very contentious subject. Has anybody noticed that? Especially in the recent few, well, probably decades, but definitely the last couple of years has been pretty spicy. And so I wanted to invite us to come together, and I, I wanted to honestly give a, a grid for us to listen and hear and respond to the scriptures as we walk through this in the next four weeks, and it is this. We are engaging with God's teachings about sexuality as believers of Christ. This is upstream from politics, from partisanship, from workplace, from patriotism, from nation, from state. These are the commands that are for every believer in every nation. These commands from the Lord, they work if you're in Russia right now. They work if you're in communist Cuba right now. The call of God for us is the same no matter what the context. Amen? So this is for followers of Christ. In fact, in John 17, Jesus was praying for us. And you guys are familiar with this prayer, but he says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. I sanctify, or I'm sorry, he's praying to the Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. This is Jesus praying for us to the Father. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so the world may believe that you've sent me. So Jesus prays, first of all, that we would remain in the world. Have you noticed we're still here? Well, that is God's design and desire is that we be in the world, though he says we are not of the world. So the commands of Jesus for every aspect of our life, including sexuality, are for us to live in the world, but we are not of the world. We are of those that follow Christ in his kingdom, amen? So we're not demanding that people in the world, we're not even speaking to the people in the world right now. This conversation is not us 
trying to convince the world that Jesus's sexual ethics, we're not trying to convince them about anything about sexual integrity. We're talking as believers with the Lord and saying, Lord, I have chosen to follow you. What do you require of me? Because my allegiance is to you. Do you see that? So as we go through this, what I don't want us to do, and God help us, is to get diverted from hearing the scriptures and what he commands us as followers to do and try to apply them to people who are in the world. Because he didn't say, Jesus didn't say, I ask, Lord, that you would get these guys to make the world do stuff that they don't want to do. That's not what he prayed. He said, Lord, I pray for your followers, that they would be in the world but not of the world. And that as they follow me, he goes on to say, as they follow me, and live according to your word. What does it say? Let them be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. As we live according to his word, guys, what does it say? The world will know that Christ sent us. So these are the ethics, the teachings, the requirements of Christ for those of us that have pledged and sworn allegiance to Christ above all else. Can you receive that? And we're receiving that. So take it first person. Take it as a follower of Christ, run it through that filter, and for, these, for, this, for this time, re- realize and remember, we're not trying to teach sexual integrity to those that are in the world. We as followers are hearing the Christ, who are in Christ speak to us that we would be sanctified through his word. Amen? I have one more scripture I'd like to share, and then Jason is actually going to be bringing this first section, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's 2 Timothy 3, 10, 4 through 6. Jesus just said, I want them to be sanctified by your word. And in this place, in, in 2 Timothy 3, he says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Be kind with us, Jason. Patient and instructing. For a time will come when people won't put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We, we cannot be giving in to that as followers of Christ. We're not seeking to find teachers that will tell us what our itching ears desire to hear because of our own, our own program or what we think, but rather let us all, as followers of Christ, ask the Lord, what is your design and desire for us? Because we know you love us above all, and we simply want to be taught by you. Can we receive it in that spirit? All right, well, we're going to go on this journey together. Jason, thank you so much for what you've prepared. We look forward to hearing you. Thank you. <clears throat> Can somebody give me a drink of water? Is that I got up here, and I'm like, it's really warm, and then I keep coughing. It, well, yeah, it's warm, right? Yes. <laughs> what would you know about it, Amy? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have to dance, so <laughs> let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these people. Thank you for these Beautiful people that you brought here, and we pray that we would know your goodness and your gentleness this morning. Amen. Um, that was well said, uh, Joshua. I, uh, you know, on, on issues like sexuality, it's so big to, it's so easy to start with the opinions of culture or to think, to like be obsessed over what's happening in Washington or what's happening in the state house, and, or, or then, you know, to, to derive our opinions uh, from. Hollywood or from 
institutions or, for, God forbid, from Facebook or TikTok and, uh, and to like have that be the standard. But if you're a follower of Christ, well, here's what this means. You guys know no matter, no matter where you're from, we have, thank you, good sir. We have many Americans. We have many Canadians. We have Mexicans here. We have, we have Namibia represented. We've got all, right, we got all, so, but wherever you're from, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, that, then your citizenship is, is in heaven. That means your home country is a monarchy. Our home country is a monarchy, not a democracy, which is hard for us to swallow. And it's not like a cheesy democracy with like, you know, a crown that doesn't mean anything like that coronation thing that happened somewhere a while back. It's like a real, and, and that's, that's great, that's cool. I'm not even throwing that under the bus. I'm just saying, our king has real authority. So where, where, wherever we're from, this is what we need to, like, what, okay, who is our king? Oh, Jesus is our king. That means we have to start with him. So, excuse me while I take a drink of this. I thought about just doing the whole thing, but I would have certainly spilled, and Janelle would have never let me hear the end of it. So, so if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to say you're so welcome. We're so glad you're here, um, and you're welcome to hang out. If you are, uh, as we said a few weeks ago, faith adjacent, you're welcome here. If you admire God but aren't really sure you want to do the Jesus thing, you're welcome. Hey, listen, we're so happy we're here. I hope that you do fall in love with Jesus. I really do. But this is really for, as Joshua said, this is really for those of us who call him king, okay? If we call him king, if our king is telling us something, then we don't, you know, it's, we don't appeal through legislation. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, he's, anyway. So well, I want to start here with our king and something that he did here that has rocked the world of many millions of people um, since it happened. John 7, 53 it begins, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Then they Said to they, uh, th this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. At once he bent down and wrote on the ground. Once more, excuse me, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What a story. What a story. Much of Jesus' ministry was spent navigating two worlds. You had the religious world, uh, which he was, you know, in day to day, we see a lot of conversations he had with that world. There was a lot of harsh legalism. Then you had the, the larger cultural context of the Roman Empire and the way that was all throughout the ancient Near East. There was all kinds uh, of immorality of every kind. And, and really, it's not so different than today, is it? Like, we have this situation of we've got religious legalism and we have 
uh, uh, all, you know, the other, the other side of sort of uh, lawlessness in different, different areas. So that's what, that's what he was facing. In this story, um, and in so many of the other teachings of Jesus, it's, here's what's clear. He doesn't like either of these things. <laughs> he doesn't seem to like them. They both caused extraordinary harm. If you were to take the two ends of those spectrums, I think it would look, like in our context today, I think here's, here's what you'd have on one side, you'd have this hedonistic hookup culture, and on the other side, you have this, this really legalistic purity culture. And I want to say both of them have done incalculable damage to people. Both of them have. I, I'm going to explain what I mean by that on, on both ends of this, okay? Um, I'm going to start... <coughs> With, uh, with this legalism side. And I want to recount a very common sermon illustration of the 80s and 90s when I grew up in youth groups. I hope and pray this didn't happen in your youth group, but it happened in many places. Here was, here was the example that the youth pastor would do. There, there would, he, he would come in and he would have a, a, a rose. And he would say, look at this beautiful rose. Hmm. Hmm. And then he'd go and he'd give it to the person in the front row. Now everybody pass the rose around. Now smell the rose. Now touch the rose. Isn't it lovely? And then he would go in and he would launch into a sermon. Uh, and uh, he would go on and on about, the, 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 about sexuality. And particularly about the prize of virginity. And while the, while the flower was passed through the audience, it, he, would, he, would, he would go and he would talk about the, the, the damage that premarital sex would invariably do to a person and how if you had premarital sex, there was no hope of ever having the kind of fulfilling relationship then with your spouse moving forward. And, and, and so he would talk about that and eventually the flower would arrive back at the stage and it would look different. The petals would be falling off, the stem would be broken it would look kind of miserable. And he would look at first like he was all dejected and sad. But then he had this big moment and he would hold it up and say, who would want this rose? Amen. Jesus would. But that's not the message that was often given. It was, you're irreparably damaged. If you're a sexual sin, oh my goodness. You're not, you didn't just mess up, you are messed up. You didn't, you didn't, you're like, it was like the shame that went down into the cells of a person. And there was no hope involved. It looked nothing like the gospel. There was no hope for redemption. There was no care of a, of, of a savior who wanted to love that person through, through everything, through thick and thin. It was an ugly, difficult thing. Imagine, imagine you are a person who had, who had sinned sexually, seeing that. You just want to crawl into a hole, don't you? And good grief, I guess, there's, I, guess there's, I, I guess it's over for me. Imagine all the people who had been sexually abused who would sit in that service and hear that. Already dealing with tremendous amounts of trauma and pain and, and, and shame that, that they did not ask for. And now it's just been doubled and said, you're not getting out of that. Or imagine those who hadn't may, maybe had any sexual experiences whatsoever and are feeling really, really great about themselves. Going, hey, I'm still a good rose. I'm a good looking rose, aren't I? I'm better than all these other ones. 
You guys, there was so much ugliness in this and incalculable damage. There were other variations of it too. Sometimes there was like a cup of water and people would like spit in the water and they're like, who would want to drink this? Like, Now, thankfully, not everybody had that kind of object lesson. I'm so thankful. I'm so sorry if you had to sit through something like that. But that was the attitude many times that was exhibited in that day. This sort of legalistic purity culture, it was salvation by abstinence alone, essentially. It was completely defined on not doing a certain sin and then having this perfect record. I've never done that sin. Hey, everybody. Like, we don't do that with any other kinds of sin, do we? <laughs> never coveted. Not one time. And you had a really nice car, too. <laughs> you know? But this was like this thing that was so focused, so much heat on this thing. And, and, and it, it, it cast God as a father who, who loved conditionally. And he didn't really have enough grace to restore people who sinned? Purity culture was about restraining lust, particularly male lust towards women, by controlling the environment, focusing excess attention on things like the length of skirts, and setting up countless people to fail. You guys, the attitude was wrong. It wasn't the gospel. But because it was religious, a lot of people thought it was the gospel. And that was a real problem. This is exactly what happened in this story with Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. You had religious leaders who were doing a certain thing, trying to enforce a certain thing. They caught her in the act and brought her to him, hoping he would approve of the punishment. And the people who are watching, because they're in the temple, so there's crowds of people watching. These people represent God. They're like, whoa, God must be really, really angry. That's not God, though. Have you ever considered how strange that whole scenario is, by the way? They caught her in the act. Like, how did that happen? That's not a thing usually that you just accidentally catch someone. And now it was clear this was a setup. So I honestly don't know. Did, they, did somebody know about some illicit affair that was going on? And like, hey, if we track her down, yeah. Remember, in one of his books, Max Lucado had, had talked about this, and I read it as a kid. I was like, whoa. <laughs> he brought up the fact that you had to have two witnesses for this kind of thing to bring this charge. And he said, how long were these two people hiding behind the curtains? <laughs> and also, have you noticed the man isn't here? Only the woman they brought in. Caught in the act of adultery, two to tango. What's, where is he? Well... That's not incredibly surprising. This is something that's pretty consistent in both legalistic and lawless sexual cultures. Uh, women are typically the ones that are going to get thrown under the bus. It happens over and over again. And this was a clear example of that. So, what, is, what does Jesus do in this situation? He sees all of this, right? He sees through it, he knows what they're trying to do, and he sees this poor woman. And instead of playing their game, he does something they didn't expect. He treats her with utter dignity. He treats her with complete respect. He says to her, uh, uh, he, 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 sorry, he speaks to the crowd, he challenges them, and by his actions, he's showing her that he truly does care and that he, he will protect her. And he puts the sins of other people 
even if they're not sexual ones, on the same level. You notice that? He didn't say, hey, if, unless you, it, 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 only those who, 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 you know, haven't committed adultery, that's a pretty big one, cast the first. No, he said, hey, whatever sin it is. So he wasn't holding up one thing as the big one. Oh, that's the big one. He simply says, woman, where are they? Where are they? They all drop the stones one by one. You imagine her looking at, the, looking at the ground, hearing those one by one. You imagine her crying. You imagine her shame. Utterly exposed to the world. And this man treats her with such, such dignity and love. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. You guys, think about that phrase, neither do I condemn you. Jesus said he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And this is excellent news for sexual sinners, guys. Hear me, friends. This is the first thing we need to understand about this whole realm, okay? The first thing we need to understand, no matter what sexual sin you have committed, no matter what sin you are struggling with currently, whether you've committed adultery or have a history of giving yourself away, whatever it is, Jesus is for you. He adores you. And he wants to sit with you amongst all those fallen stones. You are precious to Jesus, no matter what has been done in the eyes of other people. That's the first thing we need to understand. That's the truest thing about you, is that you are loved by Jesus. Neither do I condemn you, he says. Now go and sin no more. This is the second thing we need to know. There is such a thing as sexual sin. And Jesus is opposed to it. It goes against the way that God designed us, so he tells us to avoid it. We talked about the extremes of purity culture. I know that was a rough example, but it was a very common kind of thing. On the other side of it, we have this other extreme today. That is hookup culture. The only problem with sexuality on that side is repression. Today, they, the, the key to a fulfilled life is, is, is not in avoiding crossing sexual boundaries like it might be over here. No, the key to a, 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 a fulfilled life is to deny the existence of sexual boundaries in the first place. It's just assumed that everyone's going to be experimenting with everybody and, and such experimentation is highly Encouraged And guys, I, I, it's not hard to find examples of this. Pretty much any TV show you watch now on Netflix or Hulu or Apple or whatever is going to make a feature, not just like a subtle thing, but make a feature out of the theme of sexual self-discovery. It's not salvation by abstinence over here, like over here. It's salvation by pleasure itself. And, 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 of course, the pleasure could come in a million different configurations and scenarios, whatever you can dream up. The only boundary is consent. And it's important to recognize how, 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 just how far the culture has moved on this issue in recent decades. Like, when I was a kid, it, 
people didn't look at marriage as the, the, the boundary for, for, for sexual relationships. That ship had kind of sailed a little bit, and they're like, only the really churchy people think that. But at least you ought to love the person and be committed to them. That's not true anymore. That's like way too high a bar for some people. To love a person? Are you kidding? Whoa, what is this? To be committed to a person? No, 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 no. You don't even have to like a person now for it to be acceptable. All you have to do is swipe. It's so tragic. Consent is the only bar, and even that gets really, really muddy as we move forward. Now, consent should be the basis, right? That should be like the lowest bar. That is but now it's the only thing. It's like, oh, you need more than that. We'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. But it's so important for us to, to see what's, what's happened. Now, this, this is not going well. I don't know if you're aware. It's not going well. It's leaving an entire generation of people alone, ashamed, and wondering what in the world is wrong with them. I read an, argue, or an article from a, a secular uh, magazine. It was a, a campus magazine for women called uh, Her Campus. And they had this, an article called The Ways Hookup Culture Has Nearly Ruined a Generation. It was interesting that this was a secular, but I've seen so many articles like this. They start by citing a, an article from the American Psychological Association saying that 78% of women and 72% of men participating in the study reported experiencing regret after an uncommitted sexual encounter. Now, she explains, the loss of self-respect and emotional difficulty after a sexual encounter is most likely caused by the realization that there is no individualization without hookup, or within hookup culture. A culture that minimizes the emotional aspect of sex makes the act something generic. In doing so, the active participants suddenly feel that they are replaceable, which takes a toll on their mental health. Do you see that? That they are replaceable. Isn't that heartbreaking? Of course that's going to affect mental health. Friends, you are not replaceable. The fallout has been awful in both of these phenomenon, in purity culture and in hookup culture. We see the same sorts of carnage. We saw it unveiled in the, the Me Too scandal that hit all sides of, of whatever spectrum. It hits big-time Hollywood directors and politicians, and it hit big-time preachers. Uh, probably the most conservative uh, proponent and well-known teacher of purity culture in all the 80s and 90s, his ministry went down in flames after it was discovered he had sexually harassed over 30 different women. And he was the biggest proponent of this. So guys, it's been ugly. It's been ugly, and I don't think this is what God has for us. Did he intend for us to live in shame? Because that's, that's the result of both of these extremes. It's shame, it's confusion, and it's heartbreak. Now, against both of these models is the way of Jesus Christ, our King. His standards are high. His compassion is higher. You get that? His standards are high. His compassion's higher. He invites us into a way of life that upholds the dignity of each and every person, and that's sexual integrity. 
the way we'll define this. We borrowed this from a, a video that Preston Sprinkle uh, produced from Christian Sexuality. Uh, he says, sexual integrity is about having a holistic view of sex. It's not just about saying no to sex outside of marriage. It's also about understanding the beauty and complexity of what it means to be a sexual being, whether married or single. This is what we're going to be exploring here in the next few weeks. It's, it's going to be a short series, but we're going to go three weeks after this and talk about life being single and then life uh, 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 in marriage and what that is supposed to look like and then talk about some other things um, in the mix of that. Uh, but but it, sexuality is only a part of the whole person. Integrity involves the whole person, not a single act. Are you with me? You see, Jesus did indeed warn us against sexual immorality. He mentioned it several times in his teachings. The word, the Greek word, uh, interestingly enough, is porneo. That's what the Greek word is for sexual immorality, por porneo. And he warns us against it. And uh, in agreement with the guidelines on sex, in the, uh, uh, on, excuse me, in agreement with the guidelines on sex uh, in the Torah, particularly out of the book of Leviticus. Now, he didn't expound and lay out all those rules because everybody knew them, and it was understood what the guidelines on sexuality was. Uh, and it, it's, it's actually quite simple. As they, they were enumerated in Leviticus, um, the, all the things that were forbidden, but at the end of the day, it's actually quite simple. Sexual activity was to be enjoyed within the context of a husband and a wife who love one another and are committed to one another. That's the context he gave us. And that's what Jesus upheld. Sex is too intimate to be traded like currency. It's too precious to treat with such a cavalier attitude that it's flung any direction the hormones desire. So when Jesus says to avoid porneo, when Jesus says to go and sin no more, he's doing it to protect us, friends. Sex is a gift, but it is a volatile gift. And he wants to make sure it's given in a safe context. When we lived in Texas, we, uh, we lived right along this road that, that the cars would just come flying by. And our girls were really little at the time. And we had these huge huge bushes that flanked our driveway. And every time they were out in the front yard, it was like, oh. So we made it, we made a law. Thou shalt not play in the front yard without mom or dad present. Now was that law or was that love? It was both. It was both. But a good law given by a good law giver, especially one who has designed us, gives that in order to protect the ones he loves. And that's what I want to suggest to you, that the guidelines that Jesus consistently upheld in his teaching and in his life, and the guidelines that the church has followed based on him upholding those things are for our good. We might be tempted to think that because Jesus is so incredibly gracious in dealing with sexual sinners that he doesn't care so much about actual indiscretions nowadays. And, and, and maybe that was just like an Old Testament concern, but Jesus actually has higher standards than 
We do. He says this in Matthew 5. You've heard, it, uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what he's actually saying here, friends, is this. This is something we need to incorporate in all of our understanding of sexual integrity. Do not objectify one another. Do not objectify one another. Can you imagine what would happen if we all stopped objectifying one another? Can you imagine how radically different our society would be if we latched on to that thing? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing he's given. And he knew what he was doing, guys, because God created us for relationship. And when we remove the safe relational aspects, when we turn each other into objects, we turn sex into just some action, void completely of relationship and dignity. We are not objects. Sex is more than an action. And then in the end, when we treat it that way, we just wind up in shame. Whether we focus on avoiding that action at all costs or whether we want to indulge in that action at all costs, when you turn it into an impersonal thing, it ruins everything. And that's the carnage of shame that we see. Whether it's purity culture or hookup culture, whether it's legalism or lawlessness, it will lead to shame. And the, the way to deal with shame is not to jettison the standard. That's a, a shortcut that never leads to where we want it to go. But instead, the way to deal with shame is to give it to the one who went to the cross for you. To give it to our king. He knows what to do with it. And when we give him our shame... He gives us his dignity. What an exchange. Has anyone condemned you? He asked, and she said, no. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Friends, Jesus is for you. No matter what your source of shame might be, whether it came from sin or whether it came from something that was done to you, if you're the victim of sexual abuse, you need to know this. Jesus loves you and he is not ashamed of you. If you find yourself attracted to people of the same sex, I want to tell you this. Jesus loves you and he is not ashamed of you. If you've committed sexual sin, if you've committed adultery, Jesus loves you and is not ashamed of you. If you struggle, struggle with pornography, Jesus loves you. And he's not ashamed of you. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are you, friends, because he's promised that you will be satisfied. There is a way forward in this, guys. And that's to feel the, to feel the embrace of our king and to let him show us his way. He loves you and he is committed to you. Now stand with me.